another episode of In the End, a morbidly curious podcast. I'm your co-host, Emma Hitchcock. And I'm Tara Ingman. Did you see this article in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about how Saint, like the sale of saints relics is apparently coming back in vogue now? I did. <laughs> I saw, yes. If you would like to buy like the Virgin Mary's hair, you can on eBay. <laughs> yeah, you can do so. <laughs> Uh, apparently it's becoming a thing again, which cracks me up. Like, yes, I mean, straight up Middle Ages, you know? Yes. Saints relics in general have always kind of cracked me up because they make yeah, no sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the notion that like, I don't know, 600 years removed that we would be like, you know what we should do? <laughs> Get some of St. Peter's fingernails or whatever it is. Like, Yeah. Hmm. And like. I definitely believe that random dude in, like, Virginia has, like, even if I were so inclined to buy the hair of the Virgin Mary, and even if I did believe it was genuine, like, why in the world would I believe that random dude in Virginia has genuine hair of the Virgin Mary, you know? Like, none of this makes any sense to me. You're asking too many questions for somebody who's (laughs) purchasing Saints Relics on eBay, I feel. That is probably true. I'm definitely you gotta not go their demo. Way more. <laughs> you gotta have faith, faith, faith. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so I saw that article and I thought we should talk about saints relics today. Saints relics are um, oh God, an yes. interesting topic. Please. Let's. <laughs> So in case you don't know, saints relics are pieces of saints' bodies or, like, objects from their lives. Yeah, like clothing, clothing yeah. that they wore. Clothing, obviously, is was particularly popular because it's really easy to get. Like, a human body is a finite resource. So, but clothing, like, people wear hundreds and hundreds of pieces of clothing, potentially, in their lives, you know? Mm, not if not you, like, so much back in the day. Certainly not. But you can, like put on a tunic for a day and then like someone can steal it from you or something and so you got to get a new tunic you know like he visited he touched this blanket one time exactly so you should definitely buy it yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and like it also includes things that came into contact with saints tombs or their bodies or their bones so like Water and wine, for example, that were poured over, like, the tomb or the bones themselves was particularly popular. This is, like, obviously really easy to get and is a renewable resource, unlike the actual bones of the saint. Um, And you can still see a lot of these today. Like, if you poke around a Catholic church in Europe long enough, you will find some sort of relic. Guys, (laughs) just generally go to Europe. But also... They are so good at just weird old stuff, including yes. Saints Relics. Like, I, yes. Oh, oh, Europe for weirdness. I love it. <laughs> I don't know about you, but whenever I wander into like any church in Europe, like that is what I look for. Oh, I yeah. go to all of the chapels and I look to see where the relics are. <laughs> what you got? Where are you <laughs> right. up in this bitch? Yeah. Yeah, especially like. In the big cathedrals, obviously. So, like, Saint-Chapelle is one that I've been to in Paris that has, like, 
billions of relics, especially there. Most of them are like kept down in their catacombs. Um, San Marco is another one that I happen to know of that has like a really large collection still. So in the medieval period, the saints bodies were thought to like, the reason that relics were a thing was because the bodies of saints were thought to continue to be powerful and to be able to exert influence in the world and on the living right so like in a very real way relics were the saints they were still considered to be the saints themselves you know and wasn't one of the like when they were deciding who was the saint and who wasn't i mean it was usually uh post-mortem and one of the martyrs was like (laughs) if the body hadn't decomposed quickly or if it still smelled like roses or like right exactly so like they the relics are described as bleeding when they're mishandled like the bones will bleed if people like drop them accidentally or something um they have a fragrant odor like always 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 they have a fragrant odor instead of like the odor of death Um, musty because if it's just been sitting around right right in a tomb for couple hundred years yeah Rose yeah so is, things like this like one of the ones yeah 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 definitely point um so like contact because the relics like were the saints still contact with them was a way of participating in like the saints power right so their sources of like both good and ill so they cure disease they can aid in childbirth there's lots of like especially um the Virgin Mary's girdles. There are like several different Virgin Mary girdles floating around Europe at some point. And um, women like put them on during childbirth to like aid in childbirth, things like this. <laughs> okay. Um, the relics were supposed to like be able, because of course, if you couldn't have a child at the time, it was always the woman's fault. She was barren, right? right. Um, so they, like, cured barren women. They could cure possession, of course, um, from, like, Match, demons obviously. and evil spirits, obviously. They could also strike down through. sinners, though. So, like, you had to you had to be careful if you were, like, right, with up to no good. Comes great responsibility. You gotta... <laughs> Absolutely. Man. I know how this goes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Relics also protected their communities from, like, war and disease and natural disasters and these sorts of things. Did they, though? I know. I'm just going to – I'm going to have to stop. I'm just going to let you say Right. I'm going to have to say – like, I am just going to say – I'm not going to preface this every single time with, like, they were thought to. Like, let's just all understand (laughs) that that is implicitly prefaced in every sentence. Yeah. I'm going (laughs) to swallow that and just let you go. Go. So, and especially during, like, especially in the earlier medieval period, like, government, not so much a thing, right? No. Um, So during periods of, like, very weak or no government or certainly no like centralized government relics kind of substituted in that role for like a central authority and like community protection and these sorts of things you know religion in general kind of takes right. that that place like yeah um the roman empire collapses and everybody just sort of splinters into their little like like village. villages this basically is my, yeah this is my village <laughs> and like this village has its own 
laws basically and then mm-hmm. you go like yeah. the next village over and they've got their own situation happening but the one kind of unifying um theme here is that they all kind of glommed on to religious organizations because mm-hmm. they had a clear hierarchy and they had a clear right. structure so yeah yeah totally but then we're also in the middle ages and they're like superstitious as fuck so like <laughs> right so this is how we end up with yeah <laughs> relic cults yeah um the relics were also used i thought this was interesting to swear oaths on so like if you're oh. signing a treaty like you like of a bible swear... right exactly or also like in i mean courts per se as we understand them not so much right. a thing but like the equivalent of a medieval court yes instead of like swearing an oath on the bible you like swear on the relic because <laughs> okay. like if you're lying the saint will strike, strike you, down. you down right yeah you know um they were taken like carried physically into battle to like bring victory to their town and their city and whatever right um and they were also obviously like a big source of indulgences so like if you don't know what these are indulgences are like official forgiveness for sins that's given out by the church at some point and the popes eventually um kind of down the line of relic cults they set a like a specific number of years that you get off of your time in purgatory if you go and visit like particular shrines and go see the relics and you pray there and you like (laughs) <laughs> yeah and you give donations and stuff like that so Other like it's actually interesting like because so rome for example obviously tons of relics there a big like pilgrimage destination and a lot of the churches there had you know if you go visit the shrine of whoever in whatever church in rome if you're from rome you get like a year off of your time in purgatory. If you're from Italy, you get five years off. And if you're from outside of Italy, you get like seven years off, you know? So they did have like these very, um, very point, detailed, like system. graded systems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could make this in addition to our, um, uh, our Egyptian video game, you could make this into <laughs> one where you'd have to like travel a huge open world. Yes. Like Breath of the Wild, you have to go visit all the shrines. Like yeah. the same I would totally play that video. And then you have to that like, would be awesome. Battle the saints and then like, <laughs> Dark Souls style. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would play this game. I would, yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be awesome. That'd be like, so much fun. The beginning fun. of it, like death shows up at your house. It is basically just like, fun <laughs> fact: you're gonna die in like a month, so you'd have like a timer on it, and you've got to get around. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, have and you out. have to like. Gather up as many indulgences as you can. Right. Yeah. You'd have yeah. to like strategize which shrines because some of them are higher, but these ones are closer. Like, what are we going to uh-huh. do? Totally. Guys, again, totally. I have ideas. <laughs> do I have time to go all the way to Jerusalem for like the big ones or do I just like collect a bunch of little ones here? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but like, so we're joking about this, but these are actually thoughts that like, people genuinely had back in the day Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) medieval life simulator 2020 (laughs) right so battled the saints i feel like you probably didn't yeah probably not that you actually just go there and give them money and pray that's what you do (laughs) that's a less interesting video game but a much more practical approach (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and eventually the system becomes um 
well, A, profitable enough for the church, and B, (laughs) like, elaborate enough that you can, like, transfer your indulgences to other people, like, family members who have died. So, like, I am good on indulgences. I'm set. But, like, my, you know, grandfather... I'm worried about him. So, like, he's probably still in purgatory. So, I'm going to go and, like, purchase some indulgences for him type of a thing, you know? Right. Backwards, as it were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, veneration of Christian relics in this way goes back to, um, I've seen the 380s in Milan. So, the bishop there at the time was in some sort of dispute with the emperor Valentinian, the details of which don't really matter. And as a way to like win this fight with the emperor, the bishop installed the relics of two saints in the basilica altar. And this is, if not the first, one of the first documented cases of this happening. Um, but the, the bodies of saints were being divided up and bought and sold at least by the fourth century, because we have laws being made against this practice at the end of the fourth century. And like, it's criticized by um, St. Augustine in 401 as well. So like, certainly by this time, it's a thing that people are trying to stop, you know? It really took off though, after Charlemagne, like Charlemagne, was really into relics and then after him it really kind of exploded so charlemagne is like eighth early ninth like late eighth early ninth century um so then like the ninth through the 11th centuries are kind of like the height of most of this stuff that i'll be talking about today and western europe is mostly where people were like really into this like what we think of today as catholic Europe like obviously it wasn't called Catholicism at the time but well in Eastern Europe uh like Russia doesn't become Christian until like what is it nine nine eighty so they're a little further behind the curve and they end up going more towards like the icons instead of the right so like the 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 orthodox like the Eastern Orthodox Church what becomes the Eastern Orthodox Church so like Eastern Europe and like Byzantium and these sorts of areas like they do have relics, but they're never, they were never like really quite as into it as communities in the West. The most important relics in the East tended to be those associated with Christ. So like, sure. obviously there's no official like body of Christ because he ascends up into heaven. Um, I mean, but if you do communion. Well, yeah, the Eucharist was yeah. not exactly like labeled as a relic, but was definitely treated no, but as it's, a relic. It's that, yeah. It's the body of it's a way to attach themselves to the body of Christ, right? Like instead of right. we will go But I'm saying there's no like right. Right. arm of Christ right. floating no around. Christ because like hanging out <laughs> right. anywhere for them to go worship. So instead they're right. like, we'll have snacks. <laughs> and so like the relics that are associated with him are mostly like wood from the cross nails that were used in the crucifixion Mm -hmm. and things like a lot of not so much his clothes but like his blood and his sweat and like things that that were that was on so like the shroud of turin is an example of this you know um 
Relics associated with the Virgin Mary are also very popular in the East. Same problem with her, though. She's also, like, officially, you know, scooped bodily up into heaven in the Assumption. So this is things like her clothes, her hair. Bizarrely, her breast milk, very popular relic back in the day, which, like, yeah, hard pass. (laughs) Um... And the Protestants obviously stop this practice. Right. So, like, where you can still see relics today are Catholic, Catholic. regions of yeah. Europe. Yeah. Um, but many of the, even though the East was never as, like, quite as into this, a lot of the traditions surrounding them, like, the traditions that become set up when they're, like, moved and when they're installed and these sorts of things, like, a lot of these traditions started in the East, which makes sense because that's where Christianity started, you know? Um, And in the East, the relics that did exist that were like a big deal tended to be used more as like instruments or demonstrations of the central authority, like the ruler of this authority or the state's authority. So it's like the Byzantine emperor himself, you know? This is also a motivating force in the West, but like there's an additional focus in the West on the community and like the healing powers of relics that isn't so much in the East because yeah, like you said, the East gets into like goes more towards icons eventually um, than Which, relics. Side note, we will never cover it on this podcast because it has nothing to do with anything. But if you want to look at something that's just like, I'm not into art history generally. <laughs> I It's just not my jam. Um, but the evolution of Eastern European icons is just hilarious like the art style <laughs> and, yeah. and how it evolves and like I mean you get this in the west too with like ferret baby Jesus but like <laughs> nothing right, yeah. quite like it in the east check it out if you if you're ever bored just kind of like find a timeline of icons in the east and just check out the art style it's fascinating there's yeah beautiful... totally and then there's the whole like iconoclasm period in mm-hmm. I want to say the 8th century and yeah <clears throat> There's a convent in Prague that has nothing but, like, an entire installation of icons through the years that they used at this particular ah, cool. convent. Cool. Um, and it was, like, oddly enough, like, my... There's, like, a torture museum. There's a sex machine machine museum. <laughs> There's a castle. But, like, this convent was my favorite thing. It's so quiet and so beautiful. <laughs> and everything is, like, installed in situ. And I was, like... One of the rare moments in my life was like, I get it. Like, if my options yeah. are to be a woman yeah. in Eastern Europe in like 1200 out there, or to sit here and <laughs> stare at this, like, <laughs> this seems okay. Right. I'm yeah, right here. Totally. Yeah. Anyway. Totally. <laughs> Sorry. Eastern European icons fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. <clears throat> so, in theory, at least, every church altar was supposed to contain relics. Well, that's an unreasonable request. <laughs> right. Which means that there are hundreds and hundreds of like shrines that claim at least to have entire saints bodies and like thousands upon thousands of altars that contain like fragments of bodies. Like the altar doesn't need to have an entire body, but it does need to have like a relic a of, of some kind. Yeah. yeah. A, piece of a lot of early churches, <laughs> right, a lot of early churches are built above the tombs of the martyrs. So the altar is directly above the tomb. So like 
St. Peter's in Rome is this. That's why it's called St. Peter's. Like, if you go down, you can go down into the catacombs there, and the main altar of the basilica is indeed directly above, like, the remains of St. Peter. And the big cathedrals had, like, dozens or even hundreds of saints' relics. And they were, like... (laughs) They were taken out. The relics were, like usually on the saint's feast day, taken out and, like, paraded around the town. Um, And from the 11th, around, like, around the 11th century-ish onwards, the reliquaries, which are just, like, the boxes where you keep Mm -hmm. the relics, um, they're often shaped like the body part of the relic itself. So, like, my favorite ones are the arm reliquaries. Those are great. (laughs) So it's, like, if you've never seen these, imagine, like, an arm made out of silver that's hollow inside with the arm bones inside of it, you know? Yeah. Right. (laughs) And hilariously, the arm reliquaries specifically were apparently used sometimes to bless people, like, during the mass. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's amazing. (laughs) Because it was, like, holier and, like, more effective than just the normal priest doing it. Because it's like the saint himself is blessing you, you know? (laughs) Okay, but also amazing to watch. I know, right? I love that. <laughs> We're going to do it. Hang on. Hang on. Shh. This is my favorite part. Oh, it'd be so good. Uh, I don't know if anyone is still doing this. I would be very surprised if they were, but like, I love that. <laughs> oh, I, I would have been burned as a witch very quickly in the Middle Ages. So I would have been like, anybody else watching this? Are we? All right. Right. <laughs> Relics are... A huge source of prestige and revenue. I haven't for... seen these in a while. I'm sorry. I just did a quick Google. Huh. I love that they yeah. all have the blessing fingers. Yes. They're like absolutely. ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To bless you. Okay. Uh, totally. So these relics are a huge source of prestige and revenue for like the you know monastery or the church or the town where they are. And relics in general played a really important role in the medieval economy, you know, like on a practical money level. So they're also like they're taken around the town on the feast day of the saint during those celebrations. But they're also taken around to the countryside, like the surrounding countryside to raise money, like through donations during construction projects and things like this as well. And they're accompanied. As we as we were talking about, like it's the original tourism business, right? So if you have like the best and the baddest, coolest relic, right. then you're going to bring more pilgrims in and they need a place to stay and they need food. To yeah, eat yeah, yeah. And they need totally. Things, so exactly. Exactly. Everybody. Yeah. They, to, like, like there's obviously up. intense competition to get any relic, but then like, you know, the really good ones and the really like good Pokemon. ones. Got to catch them Right. <laughs> The ones you really want are the biblical figures, right. obviously, right? But the problem is, if you're in Western Europe, if you're a shrine or, like, your church in, you know, France or England or wherever, like, if you're going to get a biblical figure at your church in the north of England, you need to, like, get those figures, like, into the West somehow mm-hmm. before the, they can then end up at your church, you know? Right. Because, like, the 
Bible doesn't take place in Western Europe, right? right? The Bible doesn't play, take place in Normandy, you know. <laughs> right. Nope. So we have a problem. So this is the period when all of these stories get invented about how like various biblical figures ended up coming to the West during their lives. The Bible fan fiction? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> like since the Bible, not always, but often does not specifically mention the deaths and like where the tombs are of many of these people, it's open for interpretation. So like, these are the, all of the stories that you read about now that are used, like, in, you know, the Da Vinci Code and, like, these sorts of things. Like, all of this stuff dates from the medieval period because people were like, so I would really like <laughs> some of the Apostle Luke, but, like, we need to get him to France first. So as a couple of examples that I appreciated, there's a 7th century, like, starting in the 7th century, the story goes that the Apostle James went to Spain after the crucifixion to preach. Just but chill out, take a holiday. Yeah, he's like spreading the good out. word or whatever. Um, but his death is discussed, like is documented in 44 AD in Judea. So like we need to get him back to Judea to die. <laughs> so he goes to Spain. He like wanders around Spain preaching. Then he goes back to Judea, gets beheaded, and then his body miraculously makes its way back to Spain in a boat without any sailors or a rudder. It like floats itself back over to Spain. True crime, medievalism. <laughs> right. We found a There's... headless body floating in the bay. Yeah. You know who I bet it is? St. James. <laughs> the body is discovered in the ninth century, a hermit who's like, I don't know, doing his thing out in the middle of nowhere, has a dream of St. James. And St. James appears to him and is like, here's where my body is buried. Go and dig me up, which he does. So that is how we find <laughs> the remains of St. James. Ta-da! Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, another good one is from the 11th century. Joseph of Arimathea, who's the guy who like builds Jesus's tomb he apparently came to Glastonbury along with the Holy Grail so like yeah. that's how that ends up in England like you do <laughs> right why like not touring with the Stanley Cup <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> and then one of the most uh widespread ones is Mary Magdalene. So this is like, this story is from kind of the late 12th, early 13th century. And the story goes that Lazarus and his two sisters, including Mary Magdalene, were driven from Palestine by Jewish persecution after the ascension of Christ into heaven. And the Jews set them adrift in a rudderless boat that like floats its way over to Marseille which is in the south of France. I don't know, like, how familiar you are with the geography of the Mediterranean, but that's a fucking long way. <laughs> so it's just their starved corpses arrive, is that? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and then they, like, you know, wander around the countryside for the next, you know, 30 years or whatever, and they're preaching, and then they die there and are buried there. So, like, that's how they end up in France. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's sure. right. Why not? Okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> There's not only competition, like, between the churches and the shrines, but also sometimes between the two saints. So I read this fabulous story. <laughs> there were two saints' bodies in um, this town in central France called Auxerre. And they, the people there, like, they're in the same church, and the people needed to know... I don't know why it matters, but, like, I guess we need to know who to give thanks to. The people needed to know, like, who is responsible for, like, what proportion of the miracles that are happening, right? So the reason, like, the way that they decide to determine this, they bring in a leper to the church. And they make him sleep in between the two bodies. And in the morning, the side... Like, his side that's next to one saint is completely healed. Yeah, sure. And the other side is the same. But they're, like, trying to be systematic in their medieval way about this. (laughs) So they're like, this could have been a weird fluke. Could have been chance. Right. (laughs) So they, the next night. anecdotal evidence. Bring me more lepers. Absolutely. No, the next night, they turn him over to sleep in the opposite way. And in the morning... He's completely cured. So, like, that's the saint okay, that's more so powerful, you know? Only one saint's doing his job. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Vis-a-vis this one leper. <laughs> yeah. So, you are founding a new church in, like, <laughs> the 10th century. Sure. <laughs> and you need a relic, right? You need, like, some relics to get your church started. Yeah. So, how are you? how are you going to get a relic? I'm Most go typically, find a corpse and pull some stuff <laughs> off from it and be like, "Hey, it's part of Jesus or whatever." The impossible, yeah. Um, most typically, and like most legitimately, because like you mentioned, like officially, you couldn't move the saints without like official permission. There was a decree made in eight thirteen, so. Officially, you're not allowed to, like, just move them around. So the most legitimate way... Sorry, that's the same Mm. decree where they... I mean, it wasn't just a matter of moving them. Is that the one where they banned the trade of them? Was it that early or was it later? I believe so. I think it's the same. Yeah. Um, So most legitimately, you can get them by gifting. So, like, the bishop or the abbot or whoever writes to people asking for relics for their new churches. Yeah. The most important donor, obviously, is the Pope, since he had access to and control over Rome's catacombs with all of, like, the Roman saints and martyrs. But the problem with this is that it placed you as the recipient in the debt of the giver, right? Which, in certain circumstances, can be unacceptable, especially to, like, political powers. So, like, Charlemagne, for example, doesn't love this idea. So... If you don't want to ask the Pope for some relics and then, like, thereby putting yourself in his debt, basically, you can buy them. And there are tons of people wandering around Europe, like, hawking saints' remains, basically, at this point. And they are open up their cloak and they're like, do you want to buy some Jesus? (laughs) Right. They're organized to various degrees. In a system that kind of resembles, like, imagine today's antiquities trade, right? Mm. And, like, it's a black market. That's this elaborate system that, like, kind of, like, quote-unquote cleans the relics as they pass from, like, grave robbers to sellers to, like, the buyers who are, you know, elite bishops and whoever. And 
they get invented stories of origin that they pick up along this and, route. And like you know? documentation in the heaviest right. rotation life cover. <laughs> right, exactly. The <laughs> best like documented period of this happening is in the ninth and tenth centuries. And there's this actually like really well organized system between Frankish cler- clerics and Italian merchants. So the merchants would go and collect relics from Roman cemeteries in the winter. And then they would travel north in the spring to sell them at like the saints feasts and other festivals that happen during the summer. And then they return to Rome for the winter and they just like repeat. For the merchants, this is great business, like very lucrative. You can, especially since you can sell the same saint to multiple people, like either because you divide up the body, like if you have a whole body, you can sell one bone to like every different church, you know, or just because you say you do that, you know. Right. Like this is my thing is like, (laughs) I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but before we started recording, we were talking and I was saying like how many relics have been stolen in the last right. like 10 yeah. years. And I was just yeah. like, I want some poundage on that. Like, I want to know what, how many pounds of St. James are supposedly right. out there. And then a I lot. would like everyone to take a hard look at that and just think about it. And then decide if we still buy this weird documentation. <laughs> right. So the other option on how to get a relic is you can steal it directly from another shrine. And this really is the ideal way, at least in this kind of like middle medieval period, because (laughs) as you say, if you have bought it, how do you know you can trust this merchant? How do you know it's not pig bones, you know? And if it was gifted to you, then you're suspicious because why would those other people give it away to me? If it's working, right? Right. If so, it's the, if it's the good stuff, why would they? Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, like, theft is kind of like interestingly becomes the most appropriate and like the most satisfying account because it means that it's like the relic is too precious to the original community to be given away as gifts or to mm-hmm. be sold. So, like, you had to steal it from them. You know. In in the New York Times article that we were talking about at the top. Um, they were saying that that's one of the things that has caused this boom in the niche market of online relic sale <laughs> is that so many relics have been stolen from Italian churches mm-hmm. recently. Like, yeah. It's become a new, it's not yeah, a new thing, it's... obviously, because people have been doing it forever, but like it's become more common. It's um, come back around. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like you can pants. steal them. <laughs> You can steal relics, like, in war, right? Like, pillaging parties against your neighbors or as war booty. So, like, the big example of this, obviously, is the Fourth Crusade in 1204, which, like, if you don't know, Western Crusaders went to Constantinople and, like, invaded and plundered the city, Um, stole, like, all of the relics that were in Constantinople and, like, redistributed them to the West. They were stolen by merchants sometimes, like for their own towns. So St. Mark, for example, um, is stolen in Alexandria by Venetian merchants and brought to Venice. St. Nicholas is stolen from Myra in Turkey and brought to Bari. Like those are the two big ones who were stolen by merchants. 
idea for a new Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. But it has to be set in the medieval period. <laughs> I, I want a heist movie. Yes. <laughs> set in the Middle Ages. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> Most often, though, they're stolen by monks and priests because either because the relics weren't safe for some reason they're like in danger from raiding parties often muslims um or because the these monks and priests decided that the relics weren't being sufficiently revered so like their shrine isn't nice enough (laughs) right um an additional wrinkle to this though is that the saints were too powerful to allow themselves to be taken unwillingly. So you had to, like, kidnap them, basically. Um, or but if, like, if they were able to steal it, that means that the saint agreed with them and was like, you're right, I am not being sufficiently right. feared. They had to be convinced, yeah. Because, like, a saint who couldn't prevent his own theft isn't worth your time, you know? Right. So, like, you have to convince him that he'd be better venerated, in a new place and there are lots of stories of saints who like do not approve of particular thieves and the thieves are like paralyzed or they're struck dead or you know a huge storm blows up and prevents the ship from leaving or there's a giant earthquake you know things like this this is like a whole other level to a video game some of the some of the (laughs) shrines you'd have to go in it would be like mass effect where you have to like Uh charm them into coming with yeah 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 So a a fairly typical story. Here's one example of how these stories usually go. This one is from 1058. There's a monk from a monastery in Flanders who was traveling to England. His ship was blown off course and he landed in Sussex and he like wanders around for a while, just like taking in the sights, wanders into a local monastery and he sees the relics of St. Luina and the monks there tell him like all about her life and they read him like the list of the miracles that she's performed and he's very impressed by this and he decides to steal her relics he like comes back in the night to steal them initially the saint is like no 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 and he's thwarted so he like prays to her and after much prayer the saint agrees to accompany him and so he steals her bones goes back to the ship and like sails away with the relics and installs them in his own monastery in Flanders. <laughs> I just keep thinking anybody, if time travel existed and like <laughs> anybody from the middle ages showed up today, we would think they were schizophrenic. <laughs> yes. I mean, forget that, like, I don't know what I'm looking at aspect of this. If you take well, all yeah, of that yeah. away Absolutely. and just like, it's like, so I was talking to St. <laughs> Louina the other night and it's like, yo, how often right. and with what frequency do you talk to you people who are not that? present? Just a voice in your head. Right. When did that start? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they also were sometimes stolen away by, like, disgruntled clergy members, basically. So there's this story of a priest in Cornwall who had been demoted basically he stole the remains of saint patrick from the reliquary in the church where he was and he ran away with them to an abbey in Brittany. and when he arrives at this abbey they like let him in and they're feeding him and serving boys found the bones in the bag that he was carrying them in and they started playing with them 
And immediately their arms and their hands like swell up and become completely rigid and paralyzed. So the priest sees this and he's like, oh, God, okay. So like he confesses what's in the bag. And the monks are very excited about this because like clearly this is a powerful saint, right? He's just paralyzed these boys for playing with his bones. So they organize this like big festival and this procession and they like install them in the church with great, you know, pomp and circumstance where... The relics heal the paralyzed serving boys and like perform all of these other miracles. But all of this uh, to do alerts the original owners of these relics to what had happened. Um, And they ended up like making a series of official complaints that uh, got ruled in their favor, basically. So the Abbey had to return them. But like they were also sometimes stolen by um, kind of disgruntled Disgruntled members. Yeah. Of the community. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> it's like when you, like, so, I don't know, people who steal stuff on their way out. It's like, you're fired. Yeah, exactly. Like, Fine, I'm going to be right back. I'm Hang taking on. this finger from saying whoever with me, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, also just love the once idea you of have... very casually carrying around a bag of bones. And that's like... Oh, yeah, totally. Cool. Not and a thing. Yeah. Kids are like, hey, you know what we should do? We should play with these bones. Like... <laughs> Oh, the Middle Ages were amazing. <laughs> yeah, very different um, relationship with death, for sure. <laughs> with everything. Just with, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the ways that you get the relics. But once you've got it, how do you know that it's actually from a saint, right? Once you have it, it needs to be verified. Especially because this kind of act of transferring them, like, casts doubt on their authenticity. Yeah, because, like... In order to believe that this is real, I have to believe that the person I got it from, whether that's the monk who stole it or the merchant who sold it, you know, like that I have to trust them. And like the, in, it's this whole chain that goes back. Yeah. And yes, as you say, there are lots of cases of competing claims. So a couple of examples. There are at least three different skulls that simultaneously claim to be from John the Baptist. At a certain point, two of them are in Constantinople and one of them is in France. Um, and each I of mean, them has its own, like, the long we history. Popes, so, like, why not, you know? <laughs> right. Each of the skulls has its own, like, long history of, like, whoever found this through some sort of, you know, divine intervention, revelation, and, like, That's definitely brought it through trials to wherever, you know, type of a thing. Um there were at least five different whole bodies that were claimed simultaneously, again, to be Mary Magdalene. So yeah. two of them were in Provence. One of them was on the Adriatic coast of Italy. One was in Rome and one was in Constantinople. And in addition to this, an abbey in northern France also claimed to have her head. Yeah. A convent in the south of France claimed to have her jawbone. Two of her arms were supposed to be in Cologne. This is what I'm saying, man. Like, let's just and do it five somewhere. other arms <laughs> are also floating around at the same time that are also supposed to be from her, as well as like a couple of dozen fingers. <laughs> like all of those remains of Mary Magdalene were supposed to have existed at the exact same time. Combine in those all, all these back different together. places. <laughs> that is a Dark Souls monster. Like that's a Dark Souls boss right there. Just like arms and five heads. Right. And yeah. Extra jaws and. <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes, like, sometimes these disputes got appealed to the Pope, right? To be like, 
like the two um which one is real yeah right exactly exactly um and sometimes (laughs) hilariously these disputes were sometimes like sometimes the disputes were like settled by the pope and they were like you know body a is the real one but sometimes the pope was like shrug they're both real like both of you have the same saint in your possession because like miracles (laughs) is essentially where they landed (laughs) right why not i mean anything can be anything yeah exactly (laughs) so there are uh, some cases of like yes two different entirely like in two two entirely different bodies like officially recognized by the pope as belonging to the same saint because like i don't know why not God can do anything, I guess, right. you know? <laughs> I mean, once magic gets involved, which essentially is what this is, right? If you're talking about right. yeah. divine. Yeah. And I, I don't even necessarily say that in, like, a condescending way, right? So, like, we get no, the construct no. of magic as one way that people interpreted science or life or however you want to organize it. Like, yeah, like natural religion forces. is another yeah. way to do that. They yeah, all yeah. involve magic. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, once magic gets involved, anything can be anything at any time. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, yes, getting back to verification, like, if it's a recently deceased saint, like, you probably know where his body is and you can get it or, like, steal it from wherever his tomb is. Yeah, because we know this. But for more ancient saints, um, the verification was performed publicly by the bishop of, you know, whatever place. So they take out the authentication documents, which travel around with the bones, um, and they examine them. They, like, read those out publicly. And they look at descriptions of the saint's burial place and, like, their tomb and stuff that have been written in texts um, and, like, square those up with, you know, where they got the relics from. And they look at the relic and saints histories like their life histories their vita is what it's called um which is basically like just an account of the saint and everything they did yeah so like looking at all of these details this the the bishop like performs this authentication ritual and it's then followed by what's called an elevation ceremony where the relics are officially presented to the public for veneration They also, as part of this process, could be subjected to tests like trial by fire, which I think is great. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Counterintuitive. Though I guess that is a good way to weed out (laughs) fakes because. Yeah. Yeah. You'd just be burning all of this forever. (laughs) Right. The best way, though, to verify them was for the relics to actually perform miracles. So, like, the saints verify themselves through miraculous interventions, right? Mm -hmm. So the way these stories go is that the saint appears in a vision to somebody or, like, appears in a dream. And then that person, like, goes and gets the body and then miracles start happening. So if the relics worked, they were genuine, like, in a very real way, you know? Like, in people's minds if it works then it's genuine and if it doesn't work then it's fake you know so like the continued significance of these relics depended on continuing to perform miracles you know and they go through this process a lot like many times over so they're revealed to somebody and then they're verified they perform miracles for 
some time. And Somebody's then, like, like, bring me a leper. Sorted. <laughs> yep. Right. And then over the course of time, like, new relics are found. And they these ones are kind of forgotten, you know? And then, like, they're, you know, quote unquote, rediscovered in these, like, very blatantly orchestrated performances. So, like... St. Mark in Venice, for example, like I said, he was stolen from Alexandria. This happens in the early 9th century. And for the rest of that century, he's like very widely venerated. But after that, his cult kind of dies down and he's like rediscovered during restoration of the Basilica San Marco in the 11th century. So like then he becomes really popular again, you know. They're like, ooh, you know who's cool? St. Mark. (laughs) Right. All the cool kids are worshiping him. Right, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, these like these relic cults, they never disappear, but the kind of craze for them does die down. So the Fourth Crusade, which is like just after 1200, basically floods the market in Western Europe with relics. And it largely puts an end to a lot of the like selling and stealing of relics that I just talked about. Um because, because suddenly everywhere right they're everywhere and like we don't need to steal them anymore so a lot of that kind of stuff dies down and then around that time and you know like the 13th 14th century ish um government is kind of like becoming a thing again yeah so like this centralized power of kings and governments like grows strong enough in these kind of later middle ages periods to more effectively protect the populace and the town. So like relics are become less psychologically important to people. Mm-hmm. And then of course the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century like rises up in part against the enormous wealth that was being poured into these shrines and against the veneration of saints in this way. So they call it idolatry and they say that this is like a return to polytheism and they actually destroy a lot of shrines and the relics themselves um, in Protestant Europe in this period. So all of this kind of, again, obviously it never ends. Like you can buy relics on the black market today, you know, but like (laughs) it kind of will buy you many things. (laughs) Right. Um, It does die down. And the last interesting, like, coda to saints' relics um, are the incorruptibles. I don't know if you know anything about the incorruptibles, but I think they're super interesting. So these are the, you know, quote-unquote miraculously preserved bodies of saints. So these aren't bones. These are, like, these are actual mummies, Mm -hmm. some of which date as early as the 2nd century AD. Because, as it turns out, Church burial vaults are often very well suited to natural mummification. They're like underground and they're lined or they're built entirely with stone. So they're cool and there's a constant temperature. So it often happens that the body just naturally kind of slowly desiccates instead Mm -hmm. of decomposing, you know. And obviously this is taken as proof that they were saints because this is a miracle because their body doesn't decompose, you know? So like these, these preserved saints are called incorruptibles. And like, I very vividly remember the first time I saw one of these bodies. (laughs) It was the first, it was probably the first mummy I had seen that was not like a wrapped Egyptian mummy. Mm. Um, 
And it was in this like random church that I wandered into in Milan. And I didn't know that this was a thing yet. Okay. And no, like if you're not prepared for it, you just like turn a corner. Yeah. I like wandered into this church. I didn't know that like saint mummies were a thing. And I was just like wandering around this church. I couldn't even tell you what church it was or where in Milan it was, you know, um, and yes, suddenly was face to face with a mummy that I was like, what in the actual fuck <laughs> is this? <laughs> and spent a really long time because it was like partially covered with like, I don't know if it was like silver or gold or whatever, but like some sort of metal, you know, part of its face was covered with metal or part of its arms or whatever. And like, I spent a really long time looking really intensely at it being like, this can't possibly be a real preserved mummy can it and then was like but I really think it is but is that possible but no way you know (laughs) and this was like before everybody had internet on their phones like this was before smartphones were a thing even really so like it wasn't like I could just google it you know so yeah I very very vividly remember the first time I saw one of these (laughs) they're super cool I mean I think anytime that you just unexpectedly come across a dead body yeah yeah oddly it, enough I was it makes say, an from impression my time living in russia i can tell you yeah <laughs> yeah yeah when you're just it, wandering it definitely... down the street minding your own business and then you're like i'm pretty sure that's a dead person like it's uh-huh. it, it yeah. does something to your brain there's a shift it does it does definitely yeah <laughs> so yeah that's that's saints relics <laughs> nice yeah don't spend three thousand dollars on ebay to buy yeah don't don't do that like do that (laughs) you can have plenty of faith in christianity or whatever your religion is because they also mentioned in this article that there's uh increased traffic in like like hindu buddhist relics as well and yeah and hindu statues and like these sorts of things yeah yeah you can be perfectly religious and perfectly faithful Mm -hmm. without spending three grand on some bullshit relic that somebody in Southern California <laughs> is trying to pretend is real. Like, don't do that. Right. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Also, just go to those, also don't like, do that. Don't. Do that right. Right. If you want to see these and like, you do believe that some of these at least are real, then like, just go to the shrines where they are. You can see them, you know, like I said, if you go into any random church, right. Like, in in s- all of Catholic Europe, like, if you look hard enough, you will find a relic. I promise you, you know? <laughs> Travel right now is hard, but you could take that three sure. grand you were going to drop on whatever and have a nice vacation and go visit Right. Them. Save that money right. to go and visit them when that is a possibility again. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you can find us on Twitter at in the end podcast or you can email us at in the end podcast at gmail.com and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us wherever you listen and tell your friends spread the word if you like the podcast and we'll be back in two weeks thanks thanks Right. I don't care. <laughs> and it's too hot to digest anyway. Like there's some, there's some weird chemical reaction that happens in my body when it gets this hot and it just refuses to digest anything. Yeah.
everything just sits <laughs> in an undigested lump in a giant food bezoar in my stomach for the entire summer. 